Morning, partner. What do we got today, Gray? 25-year-old Caucasian female, Tracy Calloway. Same as the other? Same as the others. Bloody hell. Join homicide detectives Dean Tidwell and Grayson Copeland as they delve into the darkness that their city welcomes with open arms. As they search for a serial killer, known only as the Gray-Eyed Man, from slaughtering his next victim, they put their jobs, families, and lives in jeopardy, only to learn there's more than one. Read it all in David K. Montoya's book, Through the Eyes of Madness, available at mythmart.com and where books are found. This book is not for the faint of heart. Consider yourself warned. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the way well, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. We interrupt this beautiful sunny day, semi-sunny day, to bring you episode 125 of Lupa's Bits. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm trying a little something new with my opening. I, I started it last week with Star Wars. But anyway, I am your host, Lupa, as always. That never changes. Because you know why? The show's in my name. <laughs> you can't, it can't be Lupa's Bits with, you know, host Martha. It just wouldn't work. My bits, man. My bits. Anyway, so a little bit of housekeeping for you. Uh, shipping costs have been adjusted on MythMart to reflect the changing times um, and the growth of our company. So, in other words, shipping is cheaper. If you're from Canada, check it out. If you're from Australia, check it out. Shipping costs have gone down. They are no longer a flat rate. We actually have shipping costs. Real, real-time costs. Pretty cool. Saw release of Tim Law's book, The Neighbor, on two entirely separate ends of the reading spectrum. Why is this not? What happened? What's okay? Never mind. It was my computer was taking a minute to catch up. Apparently, when that big truck went by and farted its exhaust, my computer paused for a moment. So you know, we'll see. Um, let me see if I'm still. I'm still recording. Okay, that's good. Anyway, uh, one is a ki- kid's book put out through M Kids Press, and the other is a twisted crime story uh, put out through Dark Myth Publications. All subsidiaries of, well, M Kids is a division of Dark Myth Publications. Um, there are several divisions. And Dark Myth Publications is a subsidiary under the Jasomon Dark Myth umbrella. <laughs> I'm getting thumbs up from my boss because he's impressed that I know all this, that I remember. Yay me. Anyway, so yeah, those two books came out and I'm very excited. I can't wait to get my copies. They are on their way. Um, well, that was awesome. I think there's more housekeeping, but my brain just shut off. Because it does that. Um, I can't. Th- oh, ha! <laughs> Judging in the OCC has begun. The first round of judging has started on the pitches. So if you have made a pitch, cross your fingers, cross your toes, cross your legs, cross your arms, cross your eyes, but don't cross your eyes if you're driving. Um, cross your ears, cross whatever you can possibly, braid your hair. Cross whatever you possibly can, because judging has started. So, the the announcement for the top ten, top ten, top twenty. I don't know. I'm not generally a part of the OCC, as you can tell. 
Anyway, keep an eye on the Facebook page um, and Twitter and um, Instagram as our contestants, their photos will be put up there. And keep an eye on the website, opencontractchallenge.com. And all the information is there and you will see. So those that pitches were chosen by the judges will move on. And those that bought rejection insurance will move on um, into the next round. So that's exciting news. Um, it's Nurses Week. And I happen to have a nurse in my life that I love very, very much. And that is my sister. And I've always admired her skill and her ability to deal with what she, I mean, she's, she's not working right now. She will always be a nurse, but she's being a mom right now, which is a very incredibly important job. But some of the things that she had to deal with in her nursing career, she was a nurse in the neonatal NICU um, unit caring for very, very sick babies. She was involved in several um, high-risk births, and she was actually on the news um during a particularly high risk groundbreaking surgery on a baby in utero now they operated on the baby in utero and then left the baby in utero to continue to develop so that was like <laughs> mind blowing for me um and I, I don't honestly think I could do her job. A, I don't think I could remember half the crap that she remembers. Um, I barely remember my name most days. I write poetry and I go back and look at it a week later and go, who wrote that? Did I write that? I think I wrote that. And I have to go and look to make sure that I actually did write it. So I, hands down to all of those people in the medical field, that know their positions and know their jobs inside and out, backwards and frontwards. Um, and are good at their job and always, regardless of the climate at work, regardless of the people that they work with, they always give 110% because to them, the only thing that matters are the patients they are in charge of. Not the people they work with, not the company that they work for. And come on, be real. A hospital is a company. In all reality, a hospital is a company. It's the patients, the people that are there, that are sick, that need them and need their help that they care for. And that is something my sister always, always said. Um, we all used to tease her, you know, yeah, you're going to eventually become a doctor because my sister is the ultimate overachiever. So for her to get her, um, doctorate and become a doctor to get her, her, I don't know what it is, MD. Yeah. To be like, you know, doctor, yada, 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 MD was not something that we questioned. We figured she would go through all the nursing, go through all the courses. She became a nurse practitioner, which is basically a doctor, but without um, as much of the, 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 she, there are certain things she can't do. So we figured, you know, it would frustrate her and she would go on to be a doctor. And she adamantly and vehemently opposed that idea. And I finally asked her, I'm like, why? Why don't you want to become a doctor? They make far more. They keep better hours. Um, you know, you're in and out. And she says, that's the problem. Doctors are in and out. There is no continuity of care. There is no uh, connection with the patient. And her favorite part of the job, her her biggest joy was the connection with the patient, being there with the patient from start to finish, seeing them through probably one of the hardest things in their lives, 
one of the most difficult things in their lives and seeing them out the other side and watching them leave the hospital. That was a joy for her. She liked having that personal contact, that continuity of care. She was the nurse from, you know, day to day. She was the their nurse. And a lot of times the doctors didn't even know the patients' names. She knew all of her patients' names. She made a point of knowing their names. She made a point of knowing their backgrounds and their families and, and you know, whether they had children or not. Because she explained to me that a lot of times being a nurse isn't just being somebody that brings you medications and takes your vitals and, you know, prepares you for surgery or looks after you after surgery. A nurse looks after your physical body, yes. But a lot of times a nurse's job is to look after the emotional side. Because an unhappy person isn't going to heal. If you're depressed and you're sad and you're hurting emotionally, that's going to spill over into your physical healing. Because you're not going to be inspired to get out of bed. You're not going to be inspired to get moving around and you're not going to be inspired to want to get better. So a lot of times you kind of act a little bit like a therapist, figuring out what it is that they need to get better. And she did make a comment, which was kind of funny. And I kind of hung on to this back when I was a smoker, was that smokers were actually one of the groups of people that got better faster, got out of the bed faster because they had to go outside for the almighty cigarette or down to the smoking room in the hospital for that cigarette. So they would get their butts up out of bed as fast as they possibly could. Um, um, now, I'm, I'm happy I'm a non-smoker. I'm happy I'm a non-vapor. I am dependent-free. So we're going to stay with that. But yeah, I, I've always been very, very proud of my sister and I'm very proud of my boyfriend who also works in the medical field. And I've actually had the opportunity to not see him at his job working, but see him kind of switch into work Dave and watch him and his knowledge and his abilities. And I won't lie, I was wowed. I was absolutely wowed by what he knows because I couldn't even begin to fathom retaining any of that information. <laughs> um, and my sister, my mom got the opportunity one day, she had called my sister and it, I don't know if it was a glitch in the system. My sister grabbed the phone, her phone off of the desk, put it in her pocket just as my mom was calling and actually accepted the call, but didn't realize that my mom was calling because it hadn't rung and just put it in her pocket. So my mom got to listen as my sister went around and did her rounds and, and checked in on patients and talked to doctors and, and gave orders and all of that stuff. She got to hear my sister in a professional capacity. And then my sister took her phone out to check something and realized that my mom was sitting there on the line and had been for about 45 minutes. Because <laughs> my mom was kind of, you know, all weepy and teary-eyed. Like, that's my girl. That's my girl. I'm so proud. Um, we don't, as family members, we don't get to hear them in their element. We don't get to experience their knowledge we trust that they have the knowledge. We are proud of them because they are in these positions doing these jobs and doing them well. But to get that glimpse as a family member is kind of cool. So I just want to say thank you to all of our, our nurses and all of the people that work in the medical field um, underneath the doctors. The technicians and the, uh, I don't know what they, I can't remember what they call them in the States, but here they're PSWs, uh, CNs, I think. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, because without you guys, as a uh, frequent flyer patient, well, I used to be a frequent flyer patient in the hospital for my heart. 
uh, it was the nurses that made that stay bearable. It was the um, technicians and the other people that worked in the hospital that made that stay bearable. Nobody wants to be in the hospital. But if you have a good crew working around you, helping you and, and supporting you, then it, it makes you feel better. You're not at home, but you feel at home. So thank you. Um, I also wanted to uh, share a little knowledge with you that you may not know. Where did I put it? Here we go. Okay, so because my sister worked in neonatal, I thought let's look up something interesting. She worked with babies and now she has babies. So when a baby is born, there is this thing that they do and they do it at the one minute and five minute interval after the baby is born. Um, and they use this test called an APGAR test. Now, I always assumed, and this is why you should never assume, that APGAR, A-P-G-A-R, actually stood for something. It was an acronym of some sort. Well, much to my chagrin, it is not. And this is why I am not in the medical field. I'm pretty sure all the doctors and the nurses and the, the monitor techs and the CNs and the PSWs that are listening in are going, what are you, dumb? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure they all knew this. Anyway, it is the name of Dr. Virginia Apgar. Now, she's very, very important to the modern practice of obstetri obstetrics because she's the one that created this test. Um, every baby born in a modern hospital anywhere in the world is looked at first through the eyes of Dr. Virginia Apgar. Now, Apgar created a quick and reliable way to determine the health of a newborn baby, an examination that is usually referred to today as baby's Apgar test. Before her test, invented in 1952, there was no objective way to determine the health of a newborn, and babies were given little medical attention immediately after birth. Problems often escaped, notice, until they became critical. Now, to determine an APGAR score, a nurse, a midwife, or a physician examines the baby for five criteria. Skin color, heart rate, reflexes, muscle tone, and breathing at both the one minute and five minutes after birth and sometimes in further follow-up tests. Now, when um, my oldest was born, his, he was, his APGAR, they kept doing it every five minutes because he wasn't breathing on his own. So his color wasn't coming up. wasn't He wasn't pinking up like he should have been. His breathing was, was he was not breathing. Um, so anyway, each criterion is given zero, one, or two points. A score over seven is considered normal. A score, a score below three is seriously low. Babies often have lower scores at one minute after birth because, you know, they just came out and their body's figuring out how to breathe. Um, they're not pink in the womb. They're blue because they don't have any oxygenated blood. Well, they do, but not from breathing air. Um... Babies often have, okay, so by five minutes, they've perked up and they score in the normal range and they're usually crying and, and you know, getting nice and pink and, and all of those wonderful, stretching their lungs. Okay, because a comic mnemonic, a common mnemonic for the criteria uses the letters A-P-G-A-R, which actually does actually stand for something. Okay, see, I was right. Hang on. Yes, I am back in the home studio, so you're going to get all the outside sounds uh, because I have my windows open because it is lovely and I'm going to have my windows open. So deal. <laughs> okay. So because a common mnemonic for the criteria uses the letters APGAR, appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiration to create a backronym or a retrofitted acronym. Many people do not realize APGAR is an eponym named after a person. Apgar herself was often amused when people were surprised to find she was a real individual. But in person, Virginia Apgar was hard to forget. She was a pioneer in several fields of medicine, helping to establish anesthesiology as a medical specialty, 
working to study and improve obstetrical anesthesia and advancing the study of birth defects. She helped organize and administer the first division of anesthesia at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons, her alma mater, and became the first woman to be a full professor there. As a teacher of medicine, Apgar was known for her uninhibited sense of humor and could talk about anything without embarrassment. <laughs> woman after my own heart. Because her own tailbone was at an odd angle, she would have the medical students feel for it and help. Sorry, I got a ding. I had to check my mommy's home and safe and sound. Okay. Because her own tailbone was at an odd angle, she would have medical students feel for it to help them learn how to administer spinal anesthetic. She always traveled with a resuscitation kit that included a pen knife and an endotracheal tube, plastic tube inserted into the windpipe to ventilate the lungs. Nobody, but nobody, is going to stop breathing on me, she reportedly declared. In the late 1950s, after Apgar had already made a name for herself with her work in anesthesiology and the creation of the Apgar score, she turned her attention to the study and prevention of birth defects. She was asked to join what was then the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis, March of Dimes, now simply the March of Dimes, which started researching and advocating for those with birth defects after it met its original goal of creating a vaccine against polio. As a director and later vice president at the March of Dimes, Apgar championed research that showed how factors such as infectious diseases, radiation exposure, substance abuse, and chemical exposure could cause birth defects. In her years with the organization, she also traveled the country speaking and calling attention to the issue of birth defects. Outside of medicine, Apgar was a gardener, fly fisherman, and took flying lessons. Throughout her life, she was an excellent amateur violinist who often played in chamber ensembles. She even learned to make stringed instruments, including violins, a viola, and a cello. Good heavens! A little bit of an overachiever, don't you think? In fact, her work as an amateur luthier even led her to a short career as a thief. <laughs> okay. In 1957, a musician friend noticed that a maple shelf in a phone booth at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center would make an excellent back for a viola. The friend and Apgar set out to take the shelf at night and replace it with another piece of wood, which they managed to stain just the right color. But the piece they brought was slightly too large and needed to be shortened. While her friend went to the nearby ladies' room to do the sawing, Apgar guarded the door. The piece became the back of Apgar's viola and was one of the four instruments she handcrafted that were played by pediatricians at a 1994 ceremony to honor a commemorative U.S. stamp with Apgar's image. The instruments were later donated to Columbia, where they can still be rented. Virginia Apgar died of liver disease at the age of 65 in 1974, but her name lives on around the world, even though many don't know it, in the life-saving score she designed for infants. How freaking cool is that? I mean, like, that's really cool. Oh, thumbs up from the live studio audience. It's just, you know, and the thing is, is the Apgar test is just standard now. Like, baby's born, they do it. Five minutes later, they do it again. And if they need to, they do it again. You don't even think about who invented it and where it came from. And I thought it was something that had been around for a long time. I didn't realize it's only been around since 1952 when she invented it. Um, which kind of makes you wonder that why there were so many um deaths before 1952 like my mom's generation she was born she was born in 1952 my but my aunt was born before that so she's lucky she survived good thing she pinked up like she was supposed to um because nobody was watching her nobody was paying attention and i watched this show called call called blah, 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 blah. that's not what it's called called uh, call the that's hard to say those two call the midwife and it starts out in the 1940s i believe now 
since we're speaking of nurses, let me just bring up the history on this show because it is actually an amazing show. I I got I found it accidentally on Netflix. And it um it pulled I, I was looking I love British shows. I I really do. I love the fact that British shows don't censor a lot of what they show you. They don't like when you watch the reality shows um like Ambulance or 999 What's Your Emergency they don't bleep out the bad words and after a while you don't even notice them like a lot of times they're swearing for a reason like bones are sticking out of their body I'm pretty sure I would make I would use some fairly colorful and probably extremely creative bad words but um I like watching British shows. So I kind of stumbled across this show accidentally on Netflix. I believe it's on Netflix. Okay, I'm trying to find the history and it's not helping me. Uh, okay, maybe because I'm using, I don't know. Yep, pause for the cause here. <laughs> this is what happens when you do podcasts by the seat of your pants. Um, you get a bug up your butt and then you're sitting there Googling stuff to back up what you're saying. And it takes a moment and people are sitting there listening going, what is she doing? Okay, here we go. Finally, Firefox was just not giving me what I needed. So we've moved on. Anyway, um... So I stumbled across this show and I started watching it and I was sucked in and committed by episode two. <laughs> episode one had me in tears and I got thinking, do I really want to watch this? I mean, do I really want to put myself through this? And then by episode two, I'm like, I'm in. I'm sold. There are now 12 seasons. Um, I watch it faithfully. My mother watches it. My aunt watches it. I don't know if my sister watches it. Um, every buddy that I know watches it. It's a wonderful show and it doesn't sugarcoat what happened. It, what it is, is it was inspired by a series of memoirs written by Jennifer Worth, who Jenny is the main character for the first season, I think, and then she moves on. But she kept writing letters. Um, the, the original Jennifer Worth wrote letters back and forth to uh, the other, the nuns at Nanata's house and the um, other nurses, midwives at Nanata's house. And that's how the show is based. It's based on her memoirs of what went on in that time frame. And though many of the characters and situations, particularly in the early seasons, are borrowed from Worth's book, the show is nonetheless a work of fiction. But it's a work of fiction to a point. Now, it starts... Um, in the late 50s, early 60s. So you're dealing with childbirth and midwifery and things that happened in the 50s and 60s. And one of those things was thalidomide. Another one of those things was polio. Um, there was a lot of poverty and um, violence in London in the East End in, in that time frame. So you're dealing with all of that as well. You're also dealing with a lot of immigrants that were coming over from um, different countries, foreign countries, to settle. And the climate in the East End between the Londoners and these new foreigners that were coming to stay because they were looking for a better life so it deals with a lot of the hotbed topics that were prevalent in that time frame um, now the thalidomide episodes just broke me <laughs> broke me because doctors were prescribing this medication and it was fine and it was great and it was 
awesome for nausea and you know take it when you're pregnant it makes you feel better and you can do so much and as someone who suffers from extreme sickness um nausea when i'm pregnant that would have been a godsend for me uh now with my boys it was once a day with andrew it was every morning i would wake up i had a package of saltines soda crackers on my bedside table before i even lifted my head off the pillow i had eaten three and that settled my stomach so that i could sit up and carry on my day but if i didn't get those saltines in me in enough time then i was rolling my big old butt out of the bed and throwing up everywhere with my second boy um it didn't matter what time of day it was there was no predicting it it could be in the morning it could be in the afternoon it could be at night didn't matter um i'm going to pause for a moment because i'm going to watch my live studio audience open a package that he has been waiting for i think he's been waiting for it i don't know what it is i believe it's a book of some sort He's tearing the package. All has gone quiet. Oh, no, it's not a book. It looks like it's a plastic case. It could be a toolkit. It could it's a toolkit. Oh, look at that. I am so good. It is nails and screws and bunch of stuff that he bought because he needs things. <laughs> and his Roberta Vila has left the building. So he now has to fix things. Which he does. He's really good at it. Okay. Anyway, as I was saying. Um, oh, yeah. And, and as one who, with my middle child, um, it could be, I would only throw up once a day, but it, it could be at any point in time in the day. So I constantly spent the day on pins and needles, on anxiety, waiting for that moment of when I was going to be sick. So this would have been a godsend just for that. But then along came my daughter and I was sick from, I think pretty much the minute I got pregnant, pregnant with her on January 8th. And I was sick repeatedly daily right up until the day she was born. I lost, uh, certainly. I lost 35 pounds in the first month. Great, best diet plan I have ever been on, let me tell you, was getting pregnant with my daughter. My body doesn't like to carry girls, apparently. Having the extra hormones in there, uh, female hormones, the estrogen, my body was trying to expel it through my mouth <laughs> in any way it possibly could at any point in time. Um... I couldn't even talk without gagging. And that became a family joke. They would look at me and start talking. Because that's what I would do. And I'd, I would get so mad and, and so upset. And they would just laugh at me. But I was put on an anti-nauseant. Um, so I would have been, back in the 50s, I would have been one of the mothers that would have been put on thalidomide for the nausea during pregnancy. And the deformities that these poor children had to suffer through. I mean, I say suffer through and I, the fact of the matter is, yes, their life is hard. Their life was hard, but they were born that way. So they didn't really know any different. They didn't know what it was like to have a fully functioning hand or a fully functioning arm because they were born without that. So they learned to adapt and they adapted very well. A lot of them did very well. But the fact remains that they were born with these defects because of this one particular drug. Anyway, I kind of got way off topic here. <laughs> but this series deals with things like that that happened during the good heavens scared the living daylights right out of me that happened during that that period in time um and it's an excellent show and like i said they don't sugarcoat what happened they don't sugarcoat um what the doctors 
how the doctors were responding, how the doctors were treating midwives and nurses for that matter, because all of the midwives, most of the midwives uh, were trained nurses. They had to be. And they chose midwifery as their specialty. Um, so just the boys club atmosphere back then and the fact that men weren't allowed in the delivery room that when you were wheeled into the delivery room you were nothing more than a body carrying another body and their main objective was to get that little body out of the big body as fast as they possibly could they there was no comfort there was no attention really to um the mother she was a name on a chart or a number on a chart um i remember watching some of the episodes and remembering my own experience as well in the 90s which was 30 years later and it was very similar to what these women were experiencing where, you know, a group of doctors come in and they're being educated by their, their teacher and being taught how to do things. And you are basically a piece of meat in the bed for them to examine and to discuss over. You are not a human being. And I had that experience when I was pregnant with my first child and I was very young. I was very naive. Um, never even seen a gynecologist until I was pregnant. So that was a shock. Let me tell you, um, to have a grown man, about the age of my grandfather come in and say, okay, put your feet up in the stirrups and spread your legs. I beg your pardon. You want me to do what now? Um, and bear my most private parts to this almost complete stranger was rather unnerving to a very young woman. Um, and I was young when I had my, um, my son, I was 19, my firstborn, I was 19. So and I was very young. I was very naive. I was very inexperienced. So this was all kind of rather a, a shock for me. Um, and this is before they legally had to have nurses in the room to perform exams. So it was just me and this man uh, and my private parts. And if you've ever been examined when you're pregnant, you know that there are parts of the exam that are rather uncomfortable and awkward and you start counting the holes in the uh, ceiling tiles because you want to be anywhere but where you are. And if that wasn't traumatic enough, I went into premature labor with my oldest boy. He was born at five and a half weeks early. Um, I had <laughs> I'd had some bad takeout chicken and it gave me food poisoning um, in the form of diarrhea well, the contractions from that kind of put a hole in the um, sack around the baby and, you know, the rest is history. But he, he came in to my hospital room and um, asked my ex to leave. And thankfully, my mom stayed because I was absolutely mortified. Now they had started giving me Pitocin to um, encourage labor. So I was having contractions and he is, he's like, and he didn't ask me permission. He never asked me permission. He just said, I have my students here. I'm going to show them how to break your water. You're going to what? First of all, what are you doing? He didn't explain to me what he was doing. Um, I had the nurse explain it all to me after the fact, but he didn't explain to me what he was doing. He just pulled up his little stool, put my feet into the stirrups, 
throw the threw the blanket back, and there's four other grown men standing behind him as I'm bearing myself, you know, to the wind. And then he whips out what looks to be like an oversized crochet hook and says, this might be a little uncomfortable. Huh. Um... I did get my revenge because I had a contraction as my water broke and him and three of the doctors behind him got sprayed. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> but as a young woman, I was mortified. I, I was uncomfortable. Yes, I'm supposed to trust my doctor, but give me a reason. Give me, give me something. Like, don't treat me like, I don't know. I mean, nowadays you have to have a nurse in the room while a doctor's examining you. And I do have to shout out uh, Dawn Heels. She was an incredible nurse. Being Nurses Week, she was an absolutely incredible nurse. She was a she was head of the Laetitia League, uh, which is a lactation group. Um, she was the lactation consultant at the hospital. And again, being young and naive, not knowing what I'm doing, I uh, handed this baby and told breast is best. Here, feed it. What? How? Um, and William, or William, Andrew was premature. So he spent the first three days of his life at the NICU hospital. Not the hospital I was in. No, no. Oh, no. He was in a hospital an hour and a half away. Uh, pretty sure I had my postpartum depression in the first two days because I had a complete and total meltdown when I tried to call the hospital and switchboard is telling me, uh, no, you have to pay for the call. I need a number which to charge this call to. And I'm like, no, the doctor told me, the hospital told me I can call anytime I want for free. Well, no, that's not how it works. And yeah, I had a meltdown. Anyway, they connected me um, so that I could talk to the NICU staff and... Um, check in on my baby but she came in and she was a no-nonsense kind of woman really and I'm, I'm struggling to feed this baby and I haven't even really bonded with him because he was gone for three days so we're trying to bond and he's screaming and I'm crying and everything is just tense and she just walked in and she's like okay look knock it off just sucked all the tears back up into my face and stopped my sniveling and I mean, even Andrew stopped crying because he, he, I guess he felt the force of her. Um, um, she was very commanding and she's like, okay, first of all, you're holding him wrong. So she put him in my arms correctly. And then she just grabbed my boob and angled my nipple correctly and stuck it in his little mouth and it latched on. And it was like, oh, okay. I had no time to be like, mortified that this woman I'd never met was grabbing my boobies. Um, but that's what kind of nurse she was. She was very no-nonsense. And she told me after, she apologized to me, and she said, if I had have told you what I was going to do, your entire body would have tensed up in apprehension, in, in waiting for that to happen. And you would have been uncomfortable and it wouldn't have worked. I just had to do it for the like, get the shock value do it get it over with and done and then explain to you after what i was doing and i'm like all right well that worked and she sat with me for hours and and helped me work through a lot of of the trauma of a a premature birth b my first surgery ever in my life c my first blood transfusion ever in my life and D, the mortifying treatment that I had received from my doctor. Because again, to a doctor, you're just meat in a bed. You're not a person. To the nurses, you're a person. You have complex emotions. You have wants and needs and, and desires. You have plans and wishes and hopes and they want to help you facilitate all of that to get you the hell out of the bed so they can have the next one and they do it with a kind caring manner most of them most of them i have met some nightmare nurses that probably should have stopped nursing long before now um 
but most of my experiences with nurses have been incredible. Um, yeah, so kind of came full circle there, didn't we? <laughs> I like when that happens. Um, what else has happened this week? Oh, I got my team in order. If you check out my TikTok, you'll get to see my haul. And for the most part, I was pleased with what I ordered. Uh, one of the things that I was excited about was the engraver. And unfortunately, no matter how I tried, I could not make that engraver work. Uh, but Timu, true to their word, refunded, excuse me, refunded me the money for that particular item. And my order was five days, uh, was a day late. So they also gave me a $5, I'm terribly sorry, credit on my account. So I went shopping. <laughs> I got, I've always wanted to try the poly gel nails. Um, I can't afford acrylics and the poly gel seems to be the simpler, easier acrylic answer. They're not as strong as acrylics. They don't last as long as acrylics. And I don't care if I change my nails every week, but I want to um, give it a shot and it was like nine bucks. So I did. And we'll see when it gets here. Let's see what it looks like. And if I do like it, then I might invest the money and get a good kit off of Amazon. Um, but we'll see. So that came. And uh, then my um, I bought some smart bulbs, smart light bulbs. Because I have a ceiling fan in my room that has three lights in it. And in order to use it, I have to climb on my bed to turn it on and turn it off. And, um, or use the light switch on the wall. Unfortunately, the light switch on the wall also powers all the plugs on that wall. So when I turn it off, then I'm turning off the TV and the PlayStation and the Roku and whatever else happens to be plugged in over there. So I thought, that's just not working for me anymore. I've been here for two years. It's about time I remedied that situation. And then I had a lamp, have a lamp in the living room, a floor lamp in the living room that um, I now have a chair in front of, my reading chair. And it's kind of hard to reach over and turn it on. It's in the window. So it's kind of hard to reach over and turn it on. So I got four smart bulbs and I put one in there. So now when my living room lights come on at dusk, that lamp also comes on. And I can tell my little ball friend over there, my Echo Dot, to let there be light. And he turns on the ceiling fan lights in my bedroom. So, yay. And I, I was very surprised that I managed to get them all hooked up and synced and grouped and everything all by myself. <laughs> it was very cool. And set routines. So I was trying when I was in the States to set a routine for my living room lights and my bedroom lights that my living room lights. Now my living room lights are on a routine already. They come on at sundown and then go off at like 1230 or something. And then I wanted my bedroom light to come on at a certain time as well. So that when I am away, you can't tell that I'm away because the lights come on at the same time, whether I'm here or not. So you'll never know if I'm here or not. Anyway, so I'd already set up a routine, but then I figured out how to add the lamp to the already existing routine in the living room. And it worked last night. They both came on. I was so happy. I was doing like a little happy dance in my bed. And I was struggling because for some reason, my bedroom light was coming on at 9.30 and staying on. And like the next day I'd have to log into my Alexa and turn it off. So um, I wanted to figure out a routine. Now I need to go in and change the time because I realized that I'm in there a whole lot earlier than what I have it set to come on. <laughs> so I need to go in and fix that, which is fine. I can do that. But yeah, I was very proud of myself. Um... I'm not one that can do things like that easily. I also got a um, Timu version of a ring doorbell. Um, it's got a camera. Now I can't access it to just take a look and see what's going on in the hallway like you can with the ring. 
but if you ring the doorbell, I can see who's at my door. So that's a whole lot better than just randomly opening the door. I have a view of the entire hallway. So I know if somebody is at my door and who it is and whether or not I actually want to open my door and let them in. <laughs> um, so that was pretty good. And then I got these shelves that they suggest using them in your shower. They're shower shelves. But the I was expecting suction cups and it came with kind of like these stickers that you put on the wall and then it hangs on those. Now they're pretty heavy duty stickers. Like they're pretty decent. Um, but I don't see how it would stand up to the steam and humidity of my shower. So I came up with a better idea for them and I'm now using them in my kitchen in the corner to put all my herbs and spices on. Yay me. Um, but yeah, the engraver was very disappointing. No matter what I did with it, I could not get it to work. Um, and I used to love doing engraving. I used to use a Dremel and I would carve into like wooden plates and trays and I would do all kinds of really intricate and cool designs. Uh, and I wanted to get back into that. So I'm going to have to probably suck it up and buy an actual Dremel with the bits and everything um, so that I have a little more control over sizing and tips. Because for some of the things that I would do, like some of the things that I did, I need a finer tip so that I can get those little teeny tiny lines and finer details and stuff like that. So, yeah. But I've been purging this week. I've been getting rid of things that I don't need, I don't use, that are just kind of taking up space. I've gotten, for some reason, I don't know why. I think it's like carried over trauma from my marriage. I don't know. Um, but I was keeping things that I knew, logically, I knew was garbage. And yet I was putting it in like a basket or a bag on a shelf or, you know, in a drawer tucked away somewhere, saving it for I don't know what. And I am a lot healthier mentally and emotionally now. So as I was going through these things, I'm like, what was I thinking? What was what was in my brain? Um and I actually, I, I, I did a lot of, of work with that and, and um, I came to the conclusion that I was hanging on to it because for so long I had nothing that felt like it was truly mine. So I had to hang on to everything I could possibly get. If it was given to me, I would hang on to it. I would hang on to the wrapper from a chocolate bar because that was mine. I had that. That was mine. And I, I, I was still kind of perpetuating that behavior um, when I first moved in here and and was, you know, this was mine. Nobody could take this away from me. I'm going to keep this. And I, like, bags of chips that had still had little bits of chips in the bottom of them, like I'm going to eat that later. I don't know. Um, dead batteries that were literally like rusted and oozing and, you know, like puffy. Um <laughs> I was showing uh, my live studio audience today the amount of shampoo and conditioner and hair product and skin product that I have in my bathroom. And I have, have now put myself, I'm grounded. I cannot buy another bottle of shampoo or conditioner or face product or anything until I use what I have because I keep buying it and I'm not using it all. <laughs> so I need to use it all before I get any more. Um, I was kind of turning into a hoarder, but not like of garbage, but of, of, of things that only I saw an importance to like chargers that don't work. I don't know where I was thinking that maybe one day these things would work again. I have an entire bag. Okay. You know, when you buy a comforter or bed in a bag set and it comes in that zippered bag. I keep those because they're great for storing summer clothes in in the wintertime, for storing winter clothes in in the summertime, extra blankets, extra sheets, stuff like that. They're great for that because they slide under your bed or they stuff in your closet. It's great. 
So I have an entire bag, Ziploc, like this zip bag, bed in a bag size bag of charger. Holy crap, look at your arm. Dog tearing you up. Okay, sorry, it just caught my attention. I have an entire bag full of chargers and power cords and, and I, I, I don't know. It's just a bag of cords. So I am going to sit down one day and figure out if any of these work, what they're for, because there's computer cords in there and there's like, I, I don't know, headphones and, and like uh, splitters and stuff that I just keep going because I can't, oh, I can't find it. I'll just go buy another one. So off to the dollar store, I go and I buy another one. And now I have this, this entire bag full of cords and chargers and, and I need to go through it and find out what works, what doesn't work. Cause I'm pretty sure there are at least three dead charger cords in there. iPhone charger cords, you know, you get them at the dollar store or you get them at giant tiger and they die after so long they stop working um and i think i just i keep them in the hopes that one day they'll work again i don't know i, I don't know but i also unfortunately have a basket in my kitchen it's a wicker basket it looks like a little picnic basket and it is full of things that i am fairly certain can go right in the garbage um nails like the glue on nails that have popped off that are are, are not any good anymore uh, more cords. I'm pretty sure there's more cords in that in that thing. <laughs> like I can almost guarantee you, if I were to go over there right now and open it up, there would be cords of some sort, charger cords, power cords of some sort in this basket. Guarantee. Hang on, let me go get the basket. We're gonna we're gonna do this. Hang on a minute. Now, I may have gone through this at some point. I don't actually remember. Ugh, there. You can't see it, but my live studio audience can see the cute little basket that I have. Um, <laughs> and I kid you not, there are a pile of cords. <laughs> and I'm not sure if any of these actually work. Uh, they're all chargers. They're all iPhone chargers. Uh, let's see. That's a 10 foot charger. Probably doesn't work, but you know, we'll find out. There's another iPhone charger. It's about a three, three foot one. So we'll find out if it works too. And that's another iPhone charger. And... That's another iPhone charger. <laughs> yeah, and that's another, so that's one, two, three, four, five iPhone chargers. Five in this basket. Five iPhone chargers. Um, oh, we have a Christmas bow. But in my defense, it's kind of a thing in my family. We keep them. What else do I have in here? Let's see. Oh, Canada Post Solutions for Small Business. I have the card in my wallet. I'm not sure why I felt the need to keep the piece of paper that the card was attached to. Um, a Ziploc bag that looks like it has chip crumbs in it or something. I don't know. Yes, you are You are listening to my me unpacking my trauma. <laughs> uh, oh, I know why I kept this. This is the Florida State Fair. Um, where's the date on it? It's $76. So that was our ride pass at the Florida State Fair when Dave came to Florida for my birthday. That's why I have that. I have a tag from a Christmas present. Uh, receipts. I, I, I don't know. I keep receipts, apparently. Well, I mean, I keep them now for a reason. Uh, something from the dollar store. More junk. Oh, 
the cutest little man ever. Picture of my nephew. One of my nephews. I have three of them. But <laughs> he's a cute little dude. So, oh, let's see. A letter from my daughter. I think this is back when she still liked me. Um... All right. Yeah, I keep that because, you know, that's when she liked me. She doesn't like me much now. But that's it. Well, she does. She does. Oh, look. Okay, so I hung on to these for the stupidest reason. And I'm pretty sure I can part with them. So my uh, very first long period trip to California... I came back in January and I had like 20 bucks that I could spend on food. And for $21, I got a small bottle of Coke Zero and this teeny tiny package of Wisps Cheese Crisps because I was on keto then. So yeah, they are one carb gluten-free yada 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 and there are actually still some crisps in the bag what <laughs> you would have kept them too <laughs> he's so sweet but i think it's time i could probably throw these out now um i don't need to keep them i have better memories um i don't know what this is oh look i think i found the instructions for my tp link my range extender, need to keep that because that's in my bathroom. I, I have that in my bathroom, which I was, you know, I put it in there as a joke because my apartment is so small that it's not like I don't have great signal wherever I am in my apartment. But when I hooked up the uh, camera on my door to the Wi-Fi, it actually hooked up to the range extender in the bathroom. So it has full Wi-Fi all the time so i'm gonna leave it it's great i have a pill bottle oh, nothing in it just blank i think i might keep that for see now you look see i'm keeping stuff um anyway this is full of i have a mouse that i'm pretty sure doesn't work anymore i don't know but i think it nope doesn't have that Ooh, battery's a little corroded so yeah, I need to go through this. I have a wireless charger. It's a little puffy. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're going to go through this and probably purge a lot of what is in here. Um, <laughs> I have a postcard from the Big Bad Toy Store. I think this came with... Um, Annabelle, when I got Annabelle. So, yeah, I'm going to go through this because I would really like to use this as a bread basket. Um, and I can't use it as a bread basket right now because it's full of other crap. So, yeah, that's kind of where I am this week. I'm purging, I'm downsizing, I'm getting rid of stuff that I no longer need to hang on to. So, um, I've already taken a few trips to... Uh, the thrift store to dump stuff off i got rid of two suitcases that i have no use for they don't fit in my closet one's way too big and one was the wheels were broken so <laughs> figured somebody could use them um one of these days i will purge my clothes but my my whole thing with my clothes is like i'll fit into it one day <laughs> hmm. i did throw out some of the stuff that i had like the stuff that was full of holes and and um, one of the hardest things I had to purge was my dad's t-shirt, his fireman's t-shirt. Now it wasn't like a fire, like his, I've got his, um, fire hall t-shirt, but no, this was one that we bought him for father's day and said, uh, firefighters do it with more hose or something like that. It was one of those funny joke ones. Um, but it was so 
threadbare had so many holes in it you couldn't even see what the picture was anymore so it was yellow one thing i hate about summer here is the fact that everybody and their brother seems to think that they need to go down the main street on their dirt bike or their atv which is not legal technically you have to have a, a license you have to have insurance yada 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 well they don't care they just fly down the street whatever anyway i digress so yeah i had to i got rid of that t-shirt so that was hard but anyway i think i'm going to wrap this week up um my throat's getting a little sore and it's four o'clock here so i should probably think about what i'm going to do with that chicken breast in my sink melting well not melting but thawing um i figure out what i'm gonna have for dinner all right everybody so you know the drill be the kind friend don't lick shit and aww, be kind to your four-legged friends and if you happen to have a nurse or somebody in the medical profession in your life let them know that you're proud of them let them know that you're grateful and we will talk to you all next week all right see ya Carry on all the way well, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.